0: The high road is a tough place to stay. It can be dangerous and windy and up there, but the view is better. So I practice the high road, and I, multiple times a day, will say to myself, what is the high road in this situation to me?
1: Welcome to a success of our own. A success of our own is an invitation for us to courageously define our own version of success beyond the mainstream metrics we've been told we should want so that we can create a sustainable and joyful success that we can finally relax into. I'm your host, Natalie Ruskin. I'm a journalist with an inquiring mind a meditation teacher seeking the divine and a community gatherer helping others live life more inspired. This podcast offers you the opportunity to learn and grow through inspiring personal stories of transformation, ideas and practices. As you listen to this podcast, breathe it in and let it slow you down even a bit. Trust that simply listening in this less effortful way, you'll experience a shift. You'll find that puzzle piece you've been seeking. Join me in this moment and let's take a risk together at living a success of our own. By all external appearances, Todd Spencer is a prototype of mainstream success. He's male, He's white, like six foot seven, baseball pitching, Bruce Springsteen listening white, and he's a VP in corporate realty.
0: I am that. It's all very vanilla on LinkedIn. I think that's how it looks. I wanna be someone who, when you scratch the surface just a little bit, there's a whole lot more there.
1: I first noticed Todd in 2010, when he was the new leader of CBC's 24-hour news network, where I worked. He was wearing a full suit and serious expression while he surveyed the fluorescently lit CBC newsroom. My first impression was clearly Todd had climbed the conventional ladder of achievement by being that kind of leader, relentlessly assertive, locked into the hard news lens of if it bleeds, it leads, and unavailable for any of my moonshot ideas unless it would win him accolades.
0: I started to think about what if I focused and cared on the people who actually needed me the most. And those people needed me to focus their energy on what they needed. So I really doubled down on it.
1: One day, not too long after that first sighting, Todd showed up unannounced at my open concept desk. At first, I panicked thinking that I must have really fucked something up for this big boss to show up spontaneously this way. But Todd smiled genuinely and asked me if I was the producer of the Mark Tewksbury series. It quickly became clear to me that this enthusiastic human truly wanted to hear more about the lifestyle series I was producing. Turns out that back when Todd was a junior researcher, he had the chance to meet Mark and instantly became a super fan of the gold-winning Olympic swimmer and he wanted to know from me what it was like to work with Mark because he remembered Mark being so genuine. Wasn't it awesome how Mark really was such a nice guy, he asked. Yes, I agreed, while still stunned that Todd had taken time out of the busy news cycle grind to connect with me about something so specific and seemingly soft. I remember feeling special and seen. This was probably one of the only times that someone at that level of management went out of their way to acknowledge me in this way. And I know for a fact that Todd did this for all of his staff.
0: Managing up, I'm not good at it. I can't do it. The political piece is exhausting for me. I don't come to it naturally. What I come to naturally is taking care of people.
1: Radical kindness. That's Todd. He doesn't do it to look good or get approval. Todd is that rare senior leader who doesn't need accolades or a title to feel successful. He intrinsically feels successful when those around him are winning. I'm so excited to speak more with Todd about this because I'm beginning to realize that re-envisioning success isn't always about the drastic external change like coming out as gay in our mid-40s in a heteronormative family, or leaving the 9 to 5 cattle call of North America to live on a different continent, or getting divorced after 20 plus years of marriage, though all of those are relevant and in fact the subject of other episodes in this podcast. But for those who struggle in corporate and want to write it off as soul-sucking, Maybe Todd's story will offer an evolved way to feel valuable within a system which can favor the performative over the authentic. And listen, Todd had every reason to write off corporate based on what happened later in his career at the CBC as head of HR. But when Todd was forced to face his biggest fear, he received a truth about who he was, who he'd always been, and who he most wanted to be moving forward.
0: I was really glad to hear you describe me the way you just did in terms of kind of the epitome of ordinary mainstream success because I am that. It's all very vanilla on LinkedIn. It's um white guy, lots of privilege, and I think that's how it looks, right? And I think I want to be someone who, when you scratch the surface just a little bit, There's a whole lot more there. And how I define that is by the effect I can have on other people. And I try to do that through legitimately relentless kindness. I I just, I don't know how it came to me. I did go through, and we can talk about it, my own selfishness. And there were transition periods, Natalie, but it was always there for me. Grew up in a home with parents who thankfully are still alive today, living in Hamilton. And they're just really kind people and I do believe in being optimistic and kind. I don't think you can always control your optimism because bad things happen to all of us. And I don't think you can always be happy because we have to be sad sometimes. But I think there's always a space to be kind, no matter what's happening. And so I live with relentless kindness and try to do it Every step of the way. And so I really appreciated how you described me because that's how I look at myself. It's all very ordinary. And I do try to be special to the people who need me the most.
1: And I needed you back in those days at the CBC and realized in my own self, I was dealing with a burnout and I was looking to explore employee engagement. And you were involved in that file at the time. And I remember. I just remember that moment when I was first meeting with you in your office and I had my mask, proverbial mask on of like, this is how you have to perform when you meet with a higher up. And you disabled all of that by sharing quite honestly with me about where you were at at the time. And that sort of was the beginning of me getting to know this other version of leadership. What was going on for you at the time?
0: Well, it was interesting because, and I'm really glad you're doing this because you enabled a conversation. It's, it's, And in fact, the conversations that you and I had in that little office in that gigantic cube of a building, and I've said this to you before, and I really mean it, they were the only safe space for me to have those conversations. That environment was really about mask wearing. And I started to learn that when you wear a mask and you have to think about and do the calculation of who am i talking to it's exhausting because you're always first of all just the if you actually physically think about masks think about it in the, in that concept where which one do i need now i've got to choose between six or seven so then you've got to then you've got to fit it on and then you've got to actually try to be that person and you enabled really me to be authentic And I started to realize what was going on for me at the time is I didn't get a job that I wanted. It was a competition for a job. And I realized that, you know, one of the reasons I didn't get it in a highly political environment is because I wasn't wired to be political. And, and I don't, you know, some people are, and it's important. It wasn't something I wanted to spend my energy on. So I didn't get that job. And it was a, a turning point for me where I decided, you know what? I don't have the energy. I don't want to wear masks. So I started to reduce the number. I haven't, I hadn't at that point fully reduced and eliminated all the masks. There were, and I have now, we can get to that. But at the time I sort of cut a few out and I decided, okay, the job I have now is leading the news channel. And that was the job that I had. And I stayed with that job. And I said, you know, managing up, I'm not good at it. I can't do it. The political piece is exhausting for me. I don't come to it naturally. What I come to naturally is taking care of people. And so I, at that moment, started thinking, I'm going to take care of the people who need me the most. There were 160 people at the news channel at the time. One of the, leaders there described them as the island of misfit toys because they had been cast away to the news channel formerly called News World relaunched as news network and so i started to think about well what if i focus all of my energy on 160 people and wouldn't it be better if 160 people said nice things about me and my leadership than me talking up to one person So I thought, okay, I'm not good at it and I'm one person. What if I focused and cared on the people who actually needed me the most? And those people needed me to focus their energy on what they needed, not me focusing my energy managing up all the time. So I really doubled down on it and we created a strategy together the 3 to 5 strategy which was to really focus on the big stories of the day that was important at the time and we set a goal for ourselves which was to be the number one news channel in Canada we were trailing CTV at the time and it was uncomfortable for people because they had never talked about themselves in that context there were a lot of modest really smart people And we started to talk about it in that context. And I even, once we achieved it, I got Suhana Marchand, who was one of the hosts, I actually got her, she really embraced it. I said, say it on the air. And she said, really? Say it on the air? I said, say it on the air. And she did. She started to say, we're the number one news channel in Canada. And so it was almost like an experiment in Mm -hmm. a way, Natalie, because I wanted to see how it worked. And I don't know that it actually worked for my career and I didn't care anymore. It made me feel good. And another thing that came along with it was that's when I started to think about succession planning. I wanted everyone there to feel like they could move up in their careers. And I wanted multiple people to be in a position to take my job. I later heard the former general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, Alex Anthopoulos, he later said, around the same time, somebody asked me, he had all these great assistants and some of them were being hired away to be GMs at other baseball teams. And he said, that's success. He said like, yeah, it's turnover and I lose these great people. But imagine, like think about how great they are when I have them. They're so good that they can go be great somewhere else. So I get the most out of them. So succession planning is, is, probably one of my biggest priorities and I want multiple people in a position to take my job and take other jobs. Then you tie that in with diversity and inclusion and you actually really get a chance to to make significant change mm. in a workspace. So, so that was what was happening to me then at that time when you and I first started talking and you enabled it. You allowed me to start to think about it in a safe place.
1: Just going back to that moment when you wake up to, oh, I'm not Good quote unquote at managing up, like I'm not that. So, what can I do differently to find meaning? And it's that was a moment where you move that external kind of locus of meaning or um, validation. To, to a more internal one. What do you think it was in you that had the capacity to do that? Because I feel a lot of people, myself included, in the past would have gone right to, I'm, there's something wrong with me. I'm not good enough. I guess I'm just not cut out for this. Something in you was able to kind of redirect. You said, I don't know if it contributed to the success of my career how yeah. did you do
0: that? No, it was it's a really great question. There were some things that I can think about that relate to that. I, I defined my success up to that point, not based on how much money I made, a little bit of title, but really the definition of success for me was how much do I control? Uh, uh-huh. I was a control freak. And I have friends who call me control freak. And I would walk by a room as a junior person in my first time around at CBC. And then when I was at CNN, I'd walk by a room and I'd be like, I want to be in that room. I don't know what they're talking about, but I want to be in that room. And I would say to my wife, even back 20 years ago, I want to be in the room. She's heard me say this many times. And so I was, I was driven by that, that control. And as I grew through organizations, through CNN, through CBC, I realized that, um, you should begin to control the things you can control and and exert a high degree on those things. Everything else, forget about. And I realized what I could control was that news channel. Where it started to change for me, Natalie, was actually when I became a father. I realized that um, <laughs> you know, that there's things you can't control. And where and, were you, you know, earlier today at the
1: school drop-off <laughs> <Right>. Todd? <time. laughs>
0: exactly, right? Like it's it's you just have to start to accept that. You can exert control in some areas, but there's this whole other human being with their whole other, even when they're babies, and and maybe mostly when they're babies, although 17 and 19-year-olds come with their own unique challenges. I was talking to my daughter about this morning. So that's when it really started to change. And then that happened, what what happened then is, and I don't judge people because the world is full of amazing change makers who actually gave themselves to the world and put their families as secondary to that. Steve Jobs, uh, various leaders throughout the world. And they gave themselves to us and they did it and they were different kinds of parents. I turned down opportunities because I didn't wanna do that. And that was just because I'm built as a family person and I couldn't live with myself if I didn't spend every possible moment that I could. So there were two opportunities really that stand out. I was When I was leaving CNN and leaving Asia to come back to Canada, in 2004, CNN was very kind and offered me a really great job in New York and another one in Atlanta. And I realized that those our goal was to be home and to be close to home and live near family. And I said no to them. And I effectively ended my career at CNN, which could have been a real up. It was already at that point, a real upward trajectory um, over five years. And I said no to those. Another thing happened when I was at CBC. I was offered a job. At the time, CBC owned the rights to Hockey Night in Canada, and as a kid, I was my—I remember watching Hockey Night in Canada and Knowlton Nash, and I wanted to work at CBC. And I was offered the job to lead Hockey Night in Canada. Whoa,
1: I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, I had just started leading News Network, and the it was a very kind offer uh, made from uh, Julie, who was leading. Uh, sports at the time Mm. and uh, a really amazing person for some reason I asked to speak to the headhunter and that became important later a person Mm. named Allison and I realized and I shadowed the job and that job was away from your family every weekend uh, Mm. because you know in the creative business the best jobs are when everybody else is at home (laughs) and I'd done a lot of that before I had kids and I didn't want to do it. And I still can't believe that I turned down what was the dream job hmm. as a seven-year-old to be running Hockey Night in Canada. And I said no to it. I did it because I'm just built more for that. And I totally respect the people who do give themselves over to those things because those are the people who create the content we enjoy and change the world in bigger ways. It just wasn't really who who I was.
1: And your definition of success continued to evolve in a way that blindsided you. And I would add around one of your greatest assets, which is that piece of making yourself emotionally available to others, like making space, uh, maybe you can word it, put it into your own words, but that, that what I know as deep compassion and empathy. Can you talk about what was going on at that time in your career and what shifted further for you in terms of defining your own success sure. as a result?
0: Yeah, for sure. So I was um, asked, to, I was, News Network was going very well. And what I had hoped would come true, did come true, is that people were happy. The engagement scores were really good at News Network. The team was happy. It was firing on all cylinders. It was a thrill. People started to notice that. So in a way, it and that wasn't why I did it. I came to it naturally, but the idea of letting hundreds of people be the reflection of who you are rather than just managing up began to become true. But the real benefit was people actually were happy and pleased and their careers were going really, really well. So. That led to the president at the time asking me if I would do something crazy and lead human resources. So go from kind of leading 160 people directly to sort of leading three to 5,000 people indirectly and trying to move that culture that I had created over to that. Didn't think it was a great idea. Um, my wife, my best counsel, said it's not a good idea. But I frankly, maybe bullied is too strong a word, but I was pressured highly mm. into that job. And told that if I didn't do it, what else would I become at CBC? Mm. And I was still aspirational at Mm -hmm. CBC. It was the place I loved and adored and Mm -hmm. grew up with. I said yes to the job and I definitely said yes reluctantly. I felt like I had to do it. Uh, When the president asks you to do something, you you have to think about Mm -hmm. it. That became something that I now frame as really understanding your limits. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't understand my limits at that time. I've since learned that I think sometimes, most often, the way to understand your limits is something has to break. Mm. And so what broke was that I ended up getting fired from CBC in spectacular fashion over a matter that I know I behaved truthfully and honestly in. But something remarkable happened out of it. This tragedy, this traumatic event, getting fired from a place that I loved. People called me Mr. CBC was a nickname. I used to take the streetcar to work and uh, would talk to the driver. And he called me Mr. CBC uh, every day. So Mm -hmm. I was authentically invested in the place and adored the place. But it was was hard. It's a difficult place to work. And I I feel for the people who work there. Mm -hmm. So what happened is I got fired. And the way I behaved to people throughout my life came back at me like, over and over and over again, Natalie. And it was this gift of realizing that, you know, being, you know, I was i was 45 at the time, people reached out to me from my days in Hong Kong with CNN. They reached out to me from high school, people I hadn't spoken to in high school because mm-hmm. I was on the front page of all the newspapers. Yeah. It was a huge story. And it was emotionally overwhelming. I kept every note, everything everybody sent to me. But the gift of it was that the way I had chosen to live my life was validated, that people said, I know who you are. I know you're a good person. I know you behaved honestly. Mm -hmm. And to be overwhelmed with all of this goodness, I like to say that I, I don't know what happens when we die. People have funerals, and I don't know if we get to hear what people say about us at our funeral. I don't think we do. And that doesn't mean I don't believe in an afterlife. I just don't know that we're hovering above our funeral when people say those words. But I got to be at my own funeral at 45, hearing what people mm. thought about me in, in these incredible, beautiful words. And I, it, it got me through what was a traumatic event. Mm. So what I was giving out there was coming back to me.
1: And he asked for our opinions. And that had never happened before. Right. That somebody would actually ask my opinion on s- some important matters that, you know, would affect the company and the future of the company and the culture of the company. And I'm sure he didn't just do that with me. I'm sure he did it with each one of my colleagues. Right. So when you have results that we were really bad in employee engagement, like bad. <laughs> before, before he came, like really bad and and all of a sudden it went, we got the highest results, you know, in the next employee engagement of all the other assets. I mean, that just shows you that uh, people respond to this type of leadership.
0: I love his quote, uh, Mark, you take the high road. And, and he, he says that a lot because the high road is not the easy road. It's rocky. It's bumpy. There's jagged cliffs and, you know, <laughs> you got to watch out for those. And he'll say, oh, Mark, I see you up there. It looks awful rough. (laughs) You know, and I say the same to him sometimes, you know, God thought that road was awful bumpy, but I'm sure glad you took it. It took us a little while to get here, but we made it. I think he might be missing a pessimism gene. Mm -hmm. He was just always had this really optimistic outlook. And when you, when you, like it it literally was a pivotal moment where I was like, you know, he's right. You know, like I'm, I'm really shutting myself off from things. I'm really not exploring things I could be. And his um, his approach to, you know, journalism and his approach to organization and his approach to leadership, you know, like, I think a lot of people think leadership equates to authority. And I think with him, it, it, it equates with like,
1: inspiring people. What you're saying echoes those clips we <laughs> just listened to from your current and former colleagues, and the message they all shared was this piece of how you show up in this, They nobody said this word, so I'm going to claim it as mine, but this generosity, this generous way that all about the other, what was that like for you to hear those clips?
0: It was hard to hear them. It was lovely, beautiful. I, I just, just, I don't like to talk about myself in mm-hmm. that sense. Mm-hmm. It, it, it made me emotional to hear them, Natalie, because it validated what I'm trying to do. To hear Martin and Angela and Mark in that context, it means it meant something. I always say to people, you know, that, that I'm here for you if you need me. And whether it's as a work colleague or not, I'm not going to bother you, but I'm here. And I believe life is about collecting relationships and friendships along the journey. I find it a privilege that people would even ask me for my advice or my thoughts on something. Is That's how I, I measure success in my life.
1: I wanna hear more about how you measure success before we do that. I wanna go back to something you said about that you had to be broken by getting fired. Mm-hmm. And it occurs to me how we're all walking around, there is this theorist about how, not all of us, but many of us with these invisible pumpkins on our heads, this like burden, this, and, and you might call it a fear, this fear of what we don't wanna happen that Based on the weight and force of that fear, we operate in a certain way that we're avoiding. We're not even going for it because we're so afraid of this thing that will never happen. That happened to you. Can you speak to that idea of the fear that you had that actually happened and what you learned through that?
0: It's a great way to put it is that fear because my biggest fear and I've written this down I've written a lot of my learnings from that and before down and my biggest fear was getting fired. The experience of going through it and you know I I think you know I love Ted Lasso and I love to <laughs> quote Ted Lasso and and I and I'm I in a recent episode and I I think Jim Carrey may have been the first to say mm-hmm. it is that things don't happen to you they happen for mm-hmm. you. And I had not heard that until recently, but it was exactly what I was thinking in terms of this horrible thing that happened to me, this greatest fear of mine. First of all, highly traumatic event, Mm -hmm. but I was still walking around. My family was still there at home. People go through worse trauma. I like to say, how far did you have to walk for water today to just be reminded of how life is? And there's water right outside this door. And a lot of people on the planet, it's a long walk. So it really wasn't that bad uh, at the end of the day. So it's important to have context. Mm. What it did for me though, is I got fired and I believe that I behaved in the most honest way possible. Truthfully, I was proud of what I did uh, through the process. And I still got fired. Mm-hmm. So what it did for me was it took the pumpkin off my shoulder or my mm-hmm. head. Or I love that characterization that you have. And I am my ath- fully authentic self now. Mm. The, all the masks are gone. You find your limitations only when you break things. And I started to learn what my limitations were by being broken and what my best space was by being broken. And I think, you know, as you build things, you test the limitations Mm -hmm. of of twigs and sticks Mm -hmm. and you know what kind is going to work and bend. I, my limitations are that I'm not a person who manages up and politically is astute in an organization. I really like to take care of the people who need me the Mm. most. And so I was broken in 2015 and it, helped me double down on that yet again Mm -hmm. to say, this is your space. Uh, This is the space where you can affect the most change. And look at the rewards. All these people said what you did for them actually mattered. So that's where I like to to be, Natalie.
1: I think we should end with some Ted Lasso. You and I are both fans. Have you, did you, you said you were going to watch the last episode before? I'm not there yet. Okay. Okay. Where it's not, I, it doesn't impact how this conversation, I know what happens.
0: (laughs) So I've already read it anyway. So, yes. So, yeah.
1: So, my question is first of all, I, for those who know you, Todd, it's not a surprise to, for me, I was like, it dawned on me, I was like, you, you are Ted Lasso, Todd, like as of even the fact that you were brought to this other company and you didn't know anything about it and like.
0: Actually, that's a great, yeah, that is a bit like that. Yeah. Uh,
1: cause the, you know, the premise of this yeah. program is that Ted Lasso is from like Midwest USA yeah, yeah. and knows nothing. He was a football coach. He was coach? an American, American football, football coach, football coach.
0: Yeah, who, who was asked to go coach a football team in, in the UK and That's the fish-out-of-water story, and somehow it works.
1: When you think about that show and some of the scenes where you were like, oh, yes, that's like, yes, you are speaking to me, brother.
0: I think at a macro level, he is a relentlessly kind person. Mm -hmm. He has his own demons, and he struggles with things. And you can be relentlessly kind, like I said before. And he isn't always the most optimistic, but he's always kind. And he always speaks the truth Mm -hmm. and he's highly empathetic. He doesn't manage up. The extent of his managing up is baking biscuits every day for his boss. And that's it. He's just being kind. He's not sucking up. And he's kind to everybody around him, no matter who the character is. I do, as I said earlier, I I was, was really hit with the idea that things don't happen to you they happen for you Mm -hmm. and everything is an opportunity. And he saw it as an opportunity to try something out. And what he does is he takes care of the people who need him the most, Mm -hmm. his team. And he also, you know, I, I love um, when you think about stakeholders, I, I always think about leadership as stakeholders. Who are the most important people? And he thinks about his stakeholders. He thinks about his team, his employees as one stakeholder. His owner is another stakeholder. And his third stakeholder is his customers, the fans. And in a recent episode, he lets the fans in fully transparent to watch the practice totally so remember he's that. equally thinking about them as stakeholders yeah. so there's mm-hmm. just so many good things in it and I know I know that uh, for me it's been a show that as a as a person who thinks of themselves as a coach I I was so thrilled that that show exists
1: it's such a positive show and there's so much in what's not said on that show you can see the character ted processing things and practicing restraint over and over. I found that extremely inspiring.
0: And of course, one of the easiest tropes from the show is being a goldfish. He says very early in the first season, be a goldfish. Goldfish have memory of less than a second. So something happens, forget about it and move on critically important for high performance athletes, because if you mentally dwell on those things, and I know for me, idle time can be dangerous for me, being alone with my thoughts. So being a goldfish is really important. And what he means by that is forget it and move on, Uh, keep moving forward. And the episode I watched recently, one of the character's fathers says, don't fight back, fight forward. And I loved it because it's also Mm. about being a goldfish. It's keep moving forward.
1: One of the things that I like to nerd out on is practices that support us to be our best selves. And I wonder if you could share, is there a tool or a daily practice or something that keeps you coming back with all the noise around you and all the, the forces that can pull us away from our best selves?
0: It goes back to kindness. I practice and I do it authentically. It's not um, something I do for show. I love speaking to people when I have a service interaction, having a chat. It's a practice of mine because it lifts me up. So if I buy something at Home Depot, I, I love to have a chat with the person and it always surprises them. And I do like the surprise. There's a security concierge at my office and her name is Marin, And we say hi to each other in a delightful way every day. And she lifts me up and I know it lifts her up too, because I think a lot of people just walk by her. So holding doors for people is Mm. such a simple thing to do. So if I'm not doing that stuff, Natalie, then I'm off. And those are the things that I like to do. I do those because there's multiple chances every day to be good to people. And so my wife says I'm a bit like a golden retriever whose tail wags when I'm around Mm. people. So Mm. uh, I love to be around people and and really like just to spread that kindness around. And as I said before, you actually can control that. You know, Mm -hmm. I can control opening a door. No matter how bad my day is, I can still do that. And it it does give me an effect. It does keep me grounded and in that space Mm. I want to be in. I'm not like anybody else. It can, you know, Mark talked about the high road. And I appreciated that he said that so much because we we do talk about it. And the high road is a tough place to stay. And as Mark said, that it's it can be dangerous and windy and up there, mm-hmm. but the view is better from mm. the high road. It's better. So I practice the high road. And I, multiple times a day, will say to myself, what is the high mm. road in this situation to me? I'm still get a little road ragey sometimes. Yeah. So that's the one that I'm still working on is I got to be better with the road. T- so that's my last high road thing is what's the high road? Let them through. They I know they mm-hmm. drove up, but it's high road. And I honestly, multiple times a day, you're presented with decisions. What is the high road in the situation? And I try to take it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for being transparent about the growing edge, the road rage. Mine is with my son's tardiness <laughs> getting to school in the uh,
0: Yeah, well, that's a whole other thing. Yes, kids will get you there. That's the <laughs> ultimate test of the high road, so yes.
1: It's been so wonderful to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much, Todd.
0: Natalie, thank you for, for allowing me to be here. It means so much to me. Thank you.
1: Okay, so you've heard the conversation, now what? I got you. I'm here. I'm here to support you beyond just the episode. So check out my website. I've got some practical guides and worksheets. Yep, there's worksheets there to help you create some of the changes you want to see in your life. You can find all of that at natalieruskin.com. That's N-A-T-A-L-I-E-R-U-S-K-I-N.com. I want this podcast to be successful and on the topic of success one of my metrics of success is to share this message with those who may benefit most from hearing it so if you feel inspired by what you've heard here like it or if a friend or colleague comes to mind share it with them and I'd love to hear from you what topics what themes around success would you like to hear more on send me a note. I'm at natalie at natalieruskin.com.